This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Manager in the Journals Division. Julie Pfeiffer edited the 2017 issue of Children's Literature, returning to the top position for the annual after a five-year break. The essays in the issue loosely focus on the theme of fitting in. Pfeiffer joined us to talk about her return, the issue, and important topics in children's literature around the globe. Thank you for joining me today, Julie. Tell me, what does it feel like returning to the Editor Post after, I think it's six years away? It is. It is. And it feels great. Um, when I stopped editing children's literature, I needed, it was because I needed to spend some more time focusing on my own research and that was great. (laughs) And it's also been a real delight to come back to the work of editing. I love learning about the newest research in children's literature and I, I really get a sense of that because I see essays, um, before, you know, before they're out there in the rest of the world, I see what people are thinking about the work they're doing that's still private. Right. Um, that and, and I, you know, it's a real honor in a way. People are trusting me with this work that they're, you know, they're ready to send out, but, but they know it's not final yet. They know they can still make changes. And so it's a, it's a, a neat kind of opportunity to help nurture articles as they come along. The other thing that I've been reminded of over the last year as I've been editing again is how incredibly generous our reviewers are. And and I'm really struck by the generosity of this profession that people will spend a significant amount of time providing feedback. They're not getting paid to do it. They don't I think their name gets listed at the front of the volume, but you know, there's not a lot of glory attached. They just do it as uh, as a kind of professional courtesy, as service. And I, I watch how incredibly valuable those comments are. So yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure. I'm glad to be back. You talk about being able to work with the the authors and kind of make those papers even better than they already are when they come in. That must be one of the unique situations with a once a year journal, where you have a, do you have a little more time to do that? We do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. Because I'm really focusing on one volume at a time. Of course, you know, we're always looking ahead to the future, but but the real focus is just on one volume and so we spend a lot of time with authors uh, and the revision process. So, yeah, in a way, editing an annual is like editing an edited book. What are some of the challenges then of that once a year format where you you know, you maybe you get something and you really wish it could go out now, but it's going to have to wait a while. Right, but then it has to wait. And I, I do think, I think you've identified the challenge exactly, which is that sometimes it takes us longer to publish something than, than we might choose or the author would choose. Although in general, I find, you know, once we've accepted an essay, people can put it on their CV. They, they know it's going to come out. And uh, in general, people are okay with that. But my, my father edited a scientific journal Mm -hmm. and he used to be horrified because he said in his field 
if you know an essay got or an article got submitted and the goal was to have it be published in three months. Oh. So he was always kind of horrified at the fact, you know, it was an annual and that our review process takes longer, just the expectations are different. And uh, he just he just couldn't believe that we got by by not publishing things as quickly as as was required you know, for scientists. Right, because it is totally it's it's different to begin with the sciences and humanities, but then to take a humanities journal that's only once a year, it's even expanded. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, in your introduction to this new issue, you you talk about the theme of fitting in. It's it's not a special issue or a themed issue, but that kind of ran through some of the essays. Mm-hmm. That, that's a fairly timeless concept with children's literature. So, how important is it to kind of revisit that and just kind of show how that is so important to the field? Yeah. So I'll say first. You know, as you just pointed out, this was not a special issue, and one of the kind of delights of editing is that I end up at some point with this group of essays that's been accepted for a volume, and part of my job is to create a narrative for the reader to say, you know, what is it that these eight to ten essays together are maybe telling us about what scholars are thinking now? So without, you know, the the authors of the individual essays haven't conferred. There's not a special topic. But I'm always curious to see what seems to be bubbling to the surface in our field mm-hmm. at the moment. And as you say, this year, the thing that rose up for me was this question of fitting and not fitting, which is an an old issue, but one that I think we're thinking about in new ways. So, you know, it's an old essay issue in that it it shows up in books like Alice in Wonderland with Alice's literal physical change, her, you know, attempts to eat and drink herself into the appropriate size to fit through the doorway in right. Wonderland. It certainly shows up in lots of historical children's literature, which is aimed at making children fit into certain ideologically shaped visions of what how children should behave. What does it mean to be a good human being? It's also, I think, really common in children's literature to have a protagonist who feels like an outsider in some way. Right. So the sense of not fitting in and then, you know, what that provides for readers who maybe associate with the character or who maybe just enjoy reading about somebody who's who's got this problem to solve the problem of you know how do i find community so i think it i think it's an old theme it's also one that disability studies is helping us think about in new ways right and that's what i argue in the introduction to the volume is that rosemary garland thompson's idea of the misfit can have real implications for how we think about children. So, for example, we build kitchens assuming that adults will be cooking in them and that adults are of a certain size. And so then a a child comes into the kitchen and maybe can't reach the counter or the stove, can't reach the sink, and we say, oh, see, children are dependent. They're not able to take care of themselves. (laughs) They can't even wash their own dishes. But, of course, the problem is about the fit between the child and his or her environment. It actually doesn't say anything about whether children are capable of doing those activities. It's just that they haven't been given an environment that makes gives them physical access. And this is exactly the issue that lots of disability scholars are making about disability, is that instead of locating disability just in the individual, we need to see disability as something that is created in the interaction 
between the individual and institutional choices. So the choice to put in a set of stairs rather than a ramp, for example, might make you think that certain kinds of people shouldn't have access to the building or would prevent access for certain people um, to a building. But that doesn't really say anything about whether the person who can't walk up a flight of stairs would be able to do the work that's done in that building. Right. So, so it gets back to questions of what we think is normal. And I think children's literature helps us see how few individuals actually see themselves <laughs> as normal. Uh, and yeah. yet we use this idea of the norm constantly. Right. You know, what excites you the most about the study of children's literature right now? Um, obviously, it's it's something that people have really strong emotional ties to. Mm-hmm. But as far as the, the, the way mm-hmm. academics are looking at it and trying to explain it to people, what's getting you excited? I would say, for me, children's literature has always been a point of connection. So my grandmother and my mother were always handing me books and saying, oh my gosh, you're going to love this book. I loved this book. So there was this sense of community that was created in the reading of books. And and I still find that. I'll run into somebody and it'll turn out that we've read the same books and we instantly have this, this space of conversation, this shared history, even if we didn't grow up together, maybe we grew up in different parts of the world, whatever, but there's a connection that's formed there. And I think the Harry Potter phenomenon has really helped us to understand the ways that children's literature actually appeals to readers of all ages. What I think is really exciting and new is uh, things like the hashtag We Need Diverse Books movement, which is drawing our attention to the fact that there are many readers who have been left out. Mm-hmm. And maybe they've been left out because people like them don't show up in children's books or they've been left out because of lack of access to books. And so I'm really excited about the ways that authors and scholars are working to be more inclusive in the the writing of children's books and also in looking for the books that are there that we maybe haven't paid attention to for whatever reason and really trying to expand the community that is linked by children's books. The other thing that that I've really been enjoying, Hollins has a new prize called the Margaret Wise Brown Picture Book Mm -hmm. Award. That has been really fun for me because we now have all of these absolutely beautiful picture books uh, showing up in our in our department Mm -hmm. and i am just in awe at the talent the the beautiful illustrations the way words and pictures are working together and i i think there's a lot of interest and talent being brought to bear both in the creation of picture books and in the analysis of picture books so that's a an area that my guess is will uh, will continue to expand and give children and adults lots of pleasure and give academics lots to talk about. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, I think, those are the two things that, that I see as really exciting going forward. What plans are headed forward for the 2018 issue and going on? What, what do you have kind of in your brain of what you'd like to happen, knowing that you have to wait till the essays come in? <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. And actually, you know, the 2018 volume is a good bit of the way finished at this point. We really do work in advance. Right. We're still revising essays, but I do have a sense of what essays will be in that volume. And and I probably shouldn't say yet because we want everybody to be surprised. But 
I will say um, a focus on diversity in children's literature and a focus on new ways of reading children's literature. So what when, when we start expanding the, ca the canon, what new strategies for reading does that require? Going even past that, I just got back from the International Research Society for Children's Literature Congress in Toronto, Canada, and I'm really interested in international children's literature and mm -hmm. really put out a call for scholars who are writing about children's books written in languages other than English to submit essays. And, and of course, the volume will be published in English, but I would like for us to be uh, expanding our thinking about what's going on with children's literature in other parts of the world. Well, that's great. It sounds like there's a never-ending source of topics, so <laughs> children's literature... Yes, yes. You will, yes, exactly. you will always be rich in ideas, and we're we're happy uh -huh. to happy to have you yeah. share some and joy. You know that's I think in the end what this is about. It's it's about the the joy of reading together, of talking about books, of losing yourself in a book, and wanting that to be an experience that that we share with children and with each other. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. We're glad uh, we can get this out and help other people discover the journal, and we look forward to talking to you more in the future. Thanks. I appreciate it, Brian. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals for more information.